Wow. Well, if you're outstanding, you might as well go ahead and give praise to Jesus. Come on. He's worthy of our praise. Come on. You guys can do better than that. Come on. Our God is worthy. Thank you, Lord. God, we give you glory, majesty, honor in this place. Thank you, Lord. Go ahead and be seated. Thank you so much. I've never been so honored in my life. Thank you. I'm not a, I'm not a guest speaker here. I'm, I'm on staff here at Grace Covenant Church, <laughs> proudly so. Can I just say that I love this church? Amen. Anybody else love this yeah. church? Yeah. And there is no, no greater church that I, that I know than this church and this staff and these pastors. So just so grateful to be a part of this and grateful for all of my Sterling people. Any Sterling? Yeah. That's a long drive, y'all don't know. That, that 15 minutes down 28, that's a trek, man, let me tell you. But I'm excited to be preaching this series. It's like I, I have a little bit of time. I won't keep you long here tonight, uh, but I do get to continue the series, Why Did Jesus Have to Die? And my topic tonight is to disarm powers and authorities. You guys ready for that? All right. Imagine with me for a moment, we're back in the Jesus time, Jesus beginning his ministry, and we're, we're in church. Maybe you're a fly on the wall, but you're in the church in Jesus' hometown. And Jesus walks in, and you've known him all your life, but this time it's a little different. I mean, everything is, is to your custom as you're going to church on a normal day, and you're in, and Jesus walks into the church, and he walks right by you. Something's unusual is happening. Jesus walks up to the front of the church, and he grabs uh, the big Bible that's sitting there in the front, and he grabs the mic, and he opens the Bible to Isaiah, and he begins to read this passage. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then Jesus walks back, walks back to his seat, and everybody in the crowd is is looking, and they're amazed at what Jesus has just said, and they're looking, and then Jesus is looking at them, and then he just says, today, the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Bars. <laughs> and some are amazed in the moment. But then there are some who maybe because of their familiarity with Jesus, maybe they knew him growing up, maybe they're thinking, isn't that Mary and, and Joseph's boy? Begin to question what he's saying and who he is. And I also get the idea that maybe they're, they're even questioning the passage that he's beginning to use in this moment. Because they're thinking, he's come to give good news to the poor. I'm not poor. I'm, I'm, I'm okay. Maybe he's talking about my guy in the back. I know he just, he just lost his job and Maybe he's talking about him. Maybe he's come for him. Maybe 
He's saying, give sight, recovery of sight to the blind. Like, I don't even wear glasses, and the ones that I do wear, they're not even real. And they're for fashion, bro. He's, he's come to, to free me from prison, but I'm in, I'm in church. I'm not in a jail cell. What is he talking about? Oppressed me. Oppressed? I'm not oppressed. You're oppressed. And they're thinking in this moment. And they're beginning to just question Jesus, like, is he really talking about me? This is a a hard word maybe to hear because you would have to have some humility in your heart to be able to receive something like this, that he's come to do something for me, but this is my condition. But Jesus knew something that, that they didn't know, that spiritually they were dead, that spiritually they were oppressed. That spiritually they were blind and they were bound and and they were prisoners. They were not free. They were locked up and bound. And that is really us apart from Christ. Before Christ, we we were bound. We were locked up. We were imprisoned by the domain of darkness, by the enemy, by the dominion of sin. We were locked up. There was nothing that we can do. We were powerless to do anything on our own to be free. And Jesus knew that. And this is what he has, he has come to do. And what was the, so sad about this moment? Because Jesus was, was healing everything. If you read other passages and other gospels, before he gets to his hometown, he is healing everything. Disease, all sickness. It says that in Matthew, all sickness, all disease. There was nothing that he wasn't breaking people free from. But because of their questioning of who he was, he was in his hometown. And he says, man, there is no honor for a prophet in his hometown. And it wasn't because of his lack of ability that he couldn't do anything. It was because of their lack of faith in who he was that they couldn't do what he had come to do. They were powerless to do it. But he has come, family, to set us free, to disarm the powers and authorities that so oppress us and that so lock us up in chains and strongholds all around us. Jesus has come to free us from that oppression. And this is what I'm talking about tonight. Our Our focal passage, again, is in Ephesians. I'm going to be around a lot of passages tonight, so I hope you're ready for a little Bible study tonight. But we're in Ephesians 1. We're going to read 19 through 23. Let's go ahead and stand in reverence for God's word. It says this, I'm reading from the NLT version tonight. It says, I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power. For us who believe him, this is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. Now he is far above any ruler or authority or power or leader or anything else, not only in this world, but also in the world to come. God has put all things under the authority of Christ and has made him head over all things for the benefit of the church. And the church is his body. It is made full and complete by Christ, who fills all things everywhere with himself. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word tonight.
God, you speak and not me. Help us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You guys can be seated. Ephesians 1, 19 says, I, I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from, today, from the dead. So Paul's prayer here is for believers to have this really deep understanding of the power that God has used to save them. And he's not necessarily trying to communicate here that we've been resurrected with Christ, at least in this passage. He does talk about that in other passages. But he is, he is saying that, that God used an immense amount of power to wake us up, just like he did when he resurrected Jesus. And he's literally crying out to God, God, I pray, I pray that they would have a revelation of what you have done for them. This might be God's greatest display of power. And God is powerful. We all know that. God, God has displayed his power in so many ways. But I think what Paul is trying to say here is not that in other instances where God has displayed his power that he wasn't great. Because, you know, Jesus spoke to the, to the sea and the waves and the storm and he said, peace be still. And that was a great display of power. God, when he split open the seas and let the Israelites walk through, that was an amazing display of power. God, in the beginning, when he spoke with a word and he created everything, that was a great display of power. But I think what Paul is trying to say is, this might be God's greatest display of power. When he broke open the tomb and Amen. woke Jesus up. For us, that was his greatest display of strength and might and power. And it was that strength, that power, that same strength, that same power that, that God is, is saying that he is using in this moment to wake us up. Amen. And I want you to get a revelation of that. I want you to have a revelation that, that God is doing something amazing in this. And it's not that just God displayed power and used his power to save us. It's the reality of it is, is that God needed to use that amount of power to save us. And this is a revelation I think we all need to get tonight. And I might spend a little bit of time here that our before Christ situations family was really ugly. It was really ugly. Paul does a really good job of, of describing this and painting this picture for us in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 3. He says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live. I'm going to go back. He says, as for you, yeah, you. I mean, it's, it's pretty aggressive, and he's coming at you. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live. And when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. And all of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts like the rest. We were by nature deserving of wrath. I mean, Paul is, is really clear in this passage. I mean, he is coming for everyone. There is no one here that is without excuse, and he's very clear that we were not just struggling with our sin here and there. We weren't straddling the fence. We weren't just distracted from God. We were 
dead. We were spiritually dead. It's a dire situation. And he talks about here really three different things that we are entangled by a spiritual conflict, social construct, and a sinful condition. And our, our conflict is this. We have, a, we have an enemy, and he is the, the prince of the air. And his main goal, his main job is to do what? John 10, 10 is to steal, kill, and destroy you, to keep you from knowing God, to keep you dead. And he's in the air, it says. He is, he is everywhere. He is in the culture. He is in the news. He is in the movies that we watch. He is in everything that we see, that we hear, permeating everything that we scroll up and down on, maybe swipe left and right on. I mean, he is in every single thing. And his main goal is to keep you dead. Then we talk about our the society, the social construct, the world that we're in. I mean, it is it's ugly. It is dark. We know it. We live in it. I was thinking about my, my, own, my own construct that I, I grew up in. I mean, I'm a, I grew up, my, my father died when I was eight. And ultimately, I'm a walking kind of statistic. I mean, a single mother of three kids, young black boy in the South, really the way my life was set up, I was, I'm either supposed to be dead or in jail. And I know many of us probably have similar stories. Even if you don't have similar stories, you live in this world. <laughs> it is dark. It is dark, and we know it. And then we have our sinful condition that he talks about. I mean, if you think that we deserve sympathy or a pity party because we got an enemy and the world sucks. Paul is not giving it to you today in this passage. Because even though the enemy is against me and my world is terrible, I still have this sinful condition that although these things that were against me created holes, my sinful condition tried to fill those holes with whatever I wanted to fill the holes with. My sinful condition wanted to fulfill my desires for whatever desires that I wanted. And I liked it. And we liked it. I'm not going to deny that for anybody, right? We, we, we liked it. We wanted it. We, we wanted to, to scratch that itch. We wanted to date the person that we shouldn't have been dating and doing the thing with the person we shouldn't have been dating and doing the thing we shouldn't have been doing with them, right? We, we wanted it. Why? Because it was something inside of us that had a hole and we were trying to fill it. And we had this temporary satisfaction that, that we, were, we were getting. And because it was temporary, it didn't really last. So we had to go back and get it for more, but we needed more when we went back. So we just kind of kept doing it, but we wanted to do it. And that was our sinful condition and our desire. Paul says that we liked it. It was, it's a tough situation. Spiritual conflict, social construct, sinful condition. It's bleak and we have no ability and we have all of the culpability. Listen to how 
Brian Chappell, who writes in his commentary on Ephesians, says this. This is my, my Pastor Corey imitation. I have a quote for you tonight. <laughs> I'm not going to yell at you like Pastor Corey, but I'm, I'm going to hold it up. This, this picture of our pre-Christian state is devastating to any suggestion that we possess the ability to act or believe in such a way to save ourselves. Our practice is simply to live in accord with the nature we inherit with the rest of the world that is at odds with the holy ways of God. The consequence is that we cannot live a living union with him. By nature and practice, we are spiritually lifeless. Our status before God is that of dead people. Nothing convinces me more of the need for the sovereign initiative of a loving God and my salvation than this assessment in Scripture of my total inability to save myself. The dead cannot save themselves. Now, that's tough. (laughs) Now, I recognize that this isn't a very encouraging message up to this point. But I wanted you to understand and get the gravity of our situation, because if you don't realize your predicament, you won't respect the power that pursues you. And ever since Adam and Eve sinned in the garden and relinquished dominion over to Satan, we've been born into sin, that we live in sin. We live in the dominion of darkness and we are powerless to overcome it on our own. And because of our sin, we are separated from God. And we are fully deserving of the consequences We need help. We need a savior. We need a power supply. And I hope you can see these passages with a little more insight because it is going to give you some understanding and more revelation to the the power of verses four and five of Ephesians chapter two. Because it says this, but God, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, that even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. It is by grace that you have been saved. Man, I wish I had somebody here that understood the grace and the mercy of God. Man, I wish that we... I mean, somebody here knows that you know that you know that you were, you were like Lazarus in the tomb and you were bound up and you were dead and you were stinky, but Jesus called your name and called you out and he called you and saved you. Come on, somebody has to give God a better praise than that. He's called your name. Oh, thank you, God, for your mercy and your grace. You're no longer in change. You're in Christ. So thankful that God doesn't leave us to die where we are. But God, he sent his son, Jesus, to do what we are incapable of doing for ourselves. What did he do? He stepped out of heaven, came into a world. He encountered everything that, that we all experience, that we are powerless to resist. Jesus was able to reject. It says this in Hebrews 4 and 15. He says, for We do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Like he resisted everything that we couldn't resist. You see that when he's in the wilderness being tempted by Satan, 
He did what Adam and Eve couldn't do. He does what we couldn't do. He wasn't just powerful, family. He was perfect. And he got up on that cross, which was designated for us in this perfect sacrifice. And he died the death that we deserved. And this is what Scripture says that he did for us through his blood and through his death. Hebrews 2.14, it says, because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood, the son also became flesh and blood. For only as a human being could he die, and only by dying could he break the power of the devil who had the power of death. He broke the power of, of the devil, of death, through his death. Colossians 2.15, it says, And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Man, his, the, the weapons that have been used against you all of your life, all of the arrows that the enemy has been throwing at you, all the things that you've been bombarded with all of your life, they have been now disarmed by what Jesus Christ did on the cross. The bully now is being bullied by the King Jesus. There's a new sheriff in town and it's our King Jesus. Colossians 1.13 says this, for he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness. I'm going to keep preaching. He's rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son that he loves. The dominion that we willingly gave, gave up and walked away from now has been delivered, been redeemed. We are no longer prisoners being dominated in the domain of darkness. But God has ransomed us through the cross, through the cross, and we have been freed. And not only that, we have been brought into his kingdom. Now we are his. John 16, 33 says this, I have told you these things that in me you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. And even in our social construct, even when there's trouble and there's circumstances that are really tough and very difficult, all the pains that we feel, they have been overcome by Jesus and the cross. Revelations 12, 11, I love this, that our enemy has been defeated by the blood of the Lamb. Why did Jesus have to die? To disarm rulers and powers and authorities, dominion, and every name that is, every name that is invoked in this world and in the world to come. Where we are powerless, he was powerful. And you know what I love about, about God is he doesn't do anything halfway. His display of power in the resurrection doesn't just stop at him getting Jesus out of the grave. It says this in verse 20, that he raised Christ from the dead and he seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. Now he is far above any ruler or authority or power or leader or anything else, not only in this world, but also in the world to come. Listen, his power display wasn't just about ability, it was about authority. And the power God exerted not only raised Jesus from the dead, it seated him in the highest place of honor, the right hand of the Father, far above, way, way, way above all of these rulers and powers and authorities. I mean, Jesus is doing the too small thing to the enemy right now. 
That's, that's what he's doing because he's king and he's high and he's lifted up and his rulership looks like this in Isaiah 9, 6 and 7. What does it say? That he is a wonderful counselor. He is a mighty God. He's the everlasting father. He's the prince of peace. He says that he's going to rule forever with all justice and righteousness. And I love this. He says, how is he going to accomplish this? zeal of the Lord is how he's going to accomplish this. It's the zeal of the Lord is how he's going to accomplish this. This passage is a prophetic pronouncement of not only who Jesus is, but it's just talking about the power that he's going to use to procure his place, not only in the world, but in our lives. And it's the same power. It's the same energy. And I love this family. I need you to get it because if the same power that Jesus uses to save you, it's going to be the same power that Jesus is going to use to keep you. It's the same power that Jesus uses to save you and keep you. It's going to be the same power that Jesus gives us as well. I love this because... I love this because what, what this is saying is Jesus is, is very, God is very consistent that he uses the power of Christ, the power to raise Christ and seat Christ with him. And he uses the same power on us. So what does that mean? That means that if God's going to use the same power to raise Christ and seat him, then God does the same with us. That God uses his power to raise us up, but also he raises us up, and then he seats us with him. I'll just prove it in the Bible, because I don't think you guys are believing me. (laughs) Ephesians 2, 5 and 6. He made us alive with Christ, even when we're dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. What does it say? And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. We've been called out and we've been called up. We are in Christ. We now have a new identity. We are now seated at the big boy's table in Christ. We are filled with the Holy Spirit. And now we've been given a new ability, a new power, a new responsibility. This is ours now. This is ours now. In the past when you could not resist the enemy, now you can. In the past when you couldn't forgive, now you can. In the past, when you couldn't overcome your addictions, now you can. When you couldn't defeat the sin in your life, now you have the power and ability and responsibility to be able to do it. We've been empowered. We're in Ephesians, so I'll just keep reading Ephesians. Ephesians 6 says this. A final word, he says. (laughs) Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. For we're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so that you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle, you will still be standing firm. Stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness. 
for shoes put on the peace that comes from the good news so that you will be fully prepared. In addition to all of these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Put on salvation as your helmet. Take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Pray in the spirit at all times on every occasion. Stay alert. Be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. It is clear in this passage, family, that just as it was in verses one, I mean, chapter one and chapter two, that we have an enemy. We have rulers, principalities, darkness around us. But now, but now, we now have ability to stand against it. We don't have to be oppressed. Jesus disarmed rulers and powers and authorities on the cross, and now he's given us the ability to resist, to fight, to stand. We now have power, and I love it, in this new ability that he's given us, this new power that he's given us. It's, it's not going to be, it's not going to be the degrees. It's not going to be a he or a she or your ability or your money, or your philanthropy. It's not going to be any of those things that we're going to work to save you now. But it's going to be your humility and these, your knees. That's what God has given us now, the ability to get on our knees, clothed with this new identity, this new armor that he's given us, and empowered by his word, now we have promises that we can pray. We can, we can pray to God that we are more than a conqueror. We can pray that greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. That God, you haven't given me a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power, love, and a sound mind. That I am crucified with Christ. God, I no longer live but you that live in me. There is no condemnation, Lord, in Christ Jesus, but the law of the Spirit has given me freedom from the law of sin and death. I am a new creation in Christ Jesus. The old has gone, the new has come. This is our seat. This is our authority. Worship team, would you, you can come on up here. Um, Let me close with this family. You know, the other, other day, mm, I was, I was getting some keys made. And I pulled out my, my key ring, and I started to look on my key ring. And uh, as I was looking, I was making some assessments. Sorry about whatever it fell down out of there. Um, I was looking on my key ring, and I was like, I, what, is, what is this key that I have? And what does it go to? Anybody ever done that? Looked at your keys and realized that you had keys on your key ring? I had no idea what the keys went to. And I began to really think, like, I've had this key on here for a long time, but I have no idea what it opens. 
I have no idea where it goes to, what kind of access I have. I have access to something, but I don't know what it is. I felt like God told me in that moment, Jermaine, I've, I've, given, you a, I've given you a key, and it's me. And you have access to something now. You have access to unlock whatever it is that's been strapped around your ankles that's holding you back. You've been given a key, and it's me. You got access to my presence. You got access to some hope, some freedom. Family, you've been given a key. And this key gives you not only access, but it gives you authority. Some of you today, today is your day to kind of plant your flag. Stop being bullied by the enemy who's holding you in captivity, who's got you depressed and anxious and bound up, locked up. We can pray, but God is, God is really saying that he's giving you this. Like he died on the cross he bled and he died and he has demolished all of the strongholds. But you have a responsibility now. James 4 and 7 says this. Resist the devil and he will flee. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. sing this song and my hope is that you will respond with some faith here in this room that Jesus Christ is our champion he's done some things for us the enemy is, is, is here and he's seated on high our king with all authority he doesn't want us to be walking bound up and locked up. Amen. What the world needs to see is us free. Amen. Us walking strong, walking in victory. That's what they want to come in and see. They want to see us with smiles on our face, walking like upright. And he's giving you the key. All authority. Would you go ahead and stand with me tonight? Father, I pray for everybody here tonight. God, I pray that they would, that everyone here, myself included, that we would take authority and begin to pray and believe for freedom for ourselves, for salvation for our family members. And we've been getting authority to begin to speak and declare your, your promises for our kids, for our houses, for our jobs. God, do something in us tonight and we will walk out of here transformed and changed forever.